listening to Who Wore What When, a podcast where we examine the lives of important and interesting historical figures with a particular focus on what they wore in the most significant moments of their lives. My name is Maggie Latham, and I'm your host as always, but here today I have a very special guest. Special guest, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Jack Latham. I'm her brother. Whoa, whoa, we have the same last name. That's crazy. We have one of the same middle names, too. Oh, yeah. We're not going to talk about that. That's a whole thing. Um, But I asked Jack to do this podcast today because I'm home in California, and I know that Jack has a particular interest in a pretty significant person, um, the father of electricity, sort of, Uh, one of them. Kind of? Well, we use his electricity more than... You can say the father of electrical engineering. Okay, all right. Um, And that person is scientist and inventor Nikola Tesla. So that's who we're going to talk about today. Well, fun fact about our family and Nikola Tesla is that we did at one point have a cat that Jack named Nikola after Nikola Tesla. And our other cat that we had was also named after a scientist, Max Planck. Oh, I thought his name was just Max, because it's a cute name for a cat. Both. Okay. Well, you learn something every day about your own family. Nikola Tesla was born on July 10th, 1856, in Smiljan, Croatia. He was very clearly an intelligent child and was able to do very advanced math in his head. Um, which is pretty impressive. I, can't I wish do that. I could do that. <laughs> I can't do basic addition in my head, so good for him. His father was a Serbian Orthodox priest and originally wanted Tesla to become a priest as well. And Tesla got very sick as a child with cholera and promised his father that he would get better if they sent him to engineering school. He got better two weeks later. Wow. He had been sick for nine months. We have a dog. Featuring Nemo. So now, because we're doing someone in a fairly modern era, which is not something that we often do on this podcast, we're able to get a little bit more into the clothing, which is fun for me, because that's what this whole shebang is all about. So, Tesla's a kid in the mid to late 1850s, and as a child, he probably would have worn little suits. Um, because back in this time, they would dress their children very similarly to the adults, as they did for most of history. Um, baby clothes are a very new invention, friends. So his bottoms would have been either loose pants that went to the ankle, and if he wasn't wearing those loose pants, then he would be wearing knickerbockers, which are shorts uh, that go to about the knee, which you will are most closely associated with uh, sports. New York Knicks. The New York Knickerbockers, um, which I wish they just called themselves the Knickerbockers. Is it easier to fit on a jersey? Well, sure, of course. Um, But then his shirt would be his base layer, um, and if the suit was a three-piece, then he would have a waistcoat buttoned up to the neck, and the top layer would be the coat, which was usually worn just buttoned under the chin um, as kind of a cape effect, so it would kind of go out. Like Bugs Bunny in the when he's conducting. When he, well, that's a tailcoat. Yeah, but that's a different that's a different <laughs> kind of coat. Um, but sometimes the coat would be a bolero jacket, 
which was cut away and didn't usually button at all. Um, and it had usually shorter sleeves. Think of like what a girl in the mid 2000s would wear over a dress. Okay. Like those little sweater things. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so that's what they wore. Uh, and then he would wear a solitaire, which is kind of a precursor to a bow tie, which was usually made out of ribbon of some sort. So yeah, that's what he would have worn as a child. After he promised his father uh, that he would get better and got better, he attended the Technical University in Graz, Austria. Graz. He became very obsessed with his work, and he never missed a single class. His professors found out that he was working from 3 a.m. to 11 p.m. and hardly sleeping at all at, at night, and they wrote letters home telling his parents that if he didn't figure this out, that they were going to have to kick him out. I think it's really interesting that he was almost kicked out of school for working too hard. Yeah, That's not something you hear of these days, because I know a lot of people who carry that schedule with them. So Yeah, uh, it's bonkers. definitely... He later on he would talk about only sleeping three hours a night and working the all the other time. I don't recommend it though. I'd like to put it out there. Oh, just definitely because people not. do it doesn't mean I I recommend it because that's a good way to die. And it may have had an impact on him later on in life, oh. as we may see. Ooh, <laughs> foreshadowing. Ooh. Anyways, it was in Graz where he was first introduced. Uh, to electrical motors when he first took his electrical engineering class from Perfe- Professor Pos... Po- I don't know how to... Uh, Poschel? 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 There are a lot of different spellings of it. I, don't, I wasn't sure. Who he got in a disagreement with about DC generators and whether they had to have a certain component called a commutator and a brush... Basically, a DC generator, this is going to be important. It may get a little technical, but it's important because this is what he spends most of his life working on. A DC generator consists of basically a stationary part that is a magnet, and then uh, pieces around the outside that are coils of wire that are free to rotate around. So they're held in a ring around it, and then they rotate around the center core. And as you... rotate the coils around the center magnetic core. According to right-hand rule, which in engineer we call it the gang sign of engineering, because if you, in physics class, during the final, you look around and you just see everybody doing different right-hand rules and making weird symbols with their fingers because they're trying to figure out problems, because there's like five different right-hand rules. But anyways, you get it, so the current goes around the outside, then it is inducted a magnetic flux on the inside, and if the magnetic flux is around the outside, then the current is induced on the inside, and that's what happens. So as it moves around, it induces a current, and that's basically how it works. But the problem with these motors is that they work in alternating current, which will come up later, which many people didn't see as uh, feasible, so they invented commutators, which effectively switch the signal because in alternating current each rotation of the motor switches the current so the commutator effectively controls the brushes which switch the ends of the wires keeping it one constant 
uh, voltage rather than having it switch a lot, which is where you get the term direct current. Um, AC-DC. Yes. That's a band. And we'll, we'll come up to addressing what AC and DC are later. But I wanted to get to a quote by Professor Pos, Pos, Poschel? Po, Poschel? Poschel. 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 Uh, Someone correct us. Yes. Uh, who, while he did butt heads with Tesla about their design, Tesla started having his first ideas of alternating current motors, which was effectively unheard of at the time, and he presented it to the professor. They butted heads about it. But the professor, despite all that, did have this to say about uh, Tesla. Nikola's ability for mathematics is phenomenal. He knows the answers as quickly as the professor puts them on the board. He figures out the answers mentally and hardly ever writes the problem down, which it really just shows his immense knowledge when even at a university level, he's able to do this, these advanced mathematics in his head and his professors know and they're amazed by it because they can't do that at all. This comes up later on with Tesla, but all through his life, he rarely wrote down any of the designs for his work as he was able to conjure a substantial 3D visualization of all of his projects and would only write down what he came up with once it was fully formed. He had what, it was never diagnosed, but many people think that he had an eidetic memory and Tesla always talked about how he he had a great memory, which he attributed to his mother. Another one of the things he was, she was apparently a very, an extremely intelligent woman, despite having no formal education and would routinely invent appliances for around the house, which is probably where he got his first introduction to at least electrical motors. Eventually, he, it just so happened, worked out for the college, that he developed a degenerate gambling problem. A classic. Lost his scholarship. Nice. Still attended classes for a little while. Um, eventually had to drop out, went home, dealt with his, uh, his gambling issue. He was very close with his mother, so he spent a lot of, a lot of time with her there. After recovering from his gambling addiction, he and a friend decided to go to Prague, where he attends several classes at the University of Prague, but he never officially enrolls, and he never receives any actual grades, although he does attend a substantial amount of classes there, as he did at his other university, because he's obsessive like that. So after his stint at the University of Prague, he moves to Budapest, Hungary, uh, and gets a job at the Central Telegraph Office. It was here uh, at the Central Telegraph Office where he makes what many consider his first invention, which is a voice amplifier for the telephone. He also came up with the design for the rotating magnetic field portion of his induction motor while he was at this job. Eventually, he leaves Budapest to work for the Edison Continental Company in Paris. Um, Edison will be an important figure in this tale because... Yes, 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 yes. He uh, does some stuff. He worked for six months reconstructing the power station in Strasbourg. Uh, and at this time, he also made the first prototype of the induction motor. 
He then returns to Paris, where, based on his work in Strasbourg, he's recommended to go to New York to work at the Edison Machine Works. This is where it all begins. That's where it all starts. On his trip to New York, all he had with him were some of his designs, poems, and four cents in his pockets after his luggage, ticket, and money were stolen, and a mutiny broke out where Tesla was almost thrown overboard. Can you imagine if he was? That would be a be a very different world that we're living it's in. It's true. All, all DC, man. All DC. In 1884, Tesla arrives in New York to work for Edison, who at the time is having a lot of issues with his power grid that is running uh, along the eastern seaboard. Edison was using DC for all of his power grids, uh, and when Tesla suggested that he use AC, Edison disagreed, and Tesla had to go along with Edison because he was his boss, and this would start a long disagreement that they had over it. So I'm going to explain AC and DC, which is alternating current, and direct current, which will come up a lot throughout this this whole podcast as it is the central part of Tesla's life. But to understand those, you have to understand what... You mean he didn't invent the car? The, the, the Tesla? Oh, yeah, no, he's actually, um, he got reincarnated. Oh, yeah. No, he's still alive. He never died. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like Elvis. Yeah, he just just went into hiding for a few years and then came back as the owner of PayPal. Like, you know, what, 50 years that he went into hiding? It's weird because he was, it's, (laughs) it's like he was young and then he got old. And then he was young again, and now he's getting younger. Because if you look at Elon Musk, he's getting—he looks like he's getting younger. He's getting more hair, that's for sure. If that's you look at him when he was Jack, owning, Jack, that's because he has the money to buy new hair. <laughs> Have you seen the pictures between when he's owning PayPal and when he? No, but I don't want to look at them. <laughs> he has like no hair when he owns PayPal, and then all of a sudden, Jack, because he has enough money to pay for new hair to be put on. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Anyways. Maybe it's just a really good toupee. Maybe. Probably not. It's probably hair plugs. It's probably some rocket. I don't know. Uh, Anyways, to understand AC and DC, you have to first understand what voltage and current are. A very basic way to look at it. It's not exactly very scientific, but it gets you what you need to know. If you look at voltage, it's like water pressure. If you have a tank full of water and you have a hole at the bottom that you got your hand over if you take it away it's going to shoot out really strong so it wants to flow is voltage is how bad it wants to flow and current is the actual flow rate so current is when you get really into it is how many electrons are moving through a certain area as we talked about earlier dc is what was used in Almost all the motors at the time, AC motors were unheard of, extremely rare, and the ones that did exist were super rudimentary, had were very low-tech. And this is why Edison was using DC, because it was easier with his generators and everything. In DC, the frequency of the, the current doesn't change. So DC is good for small devices, like all your computers run on DC because there's not a lot of 
changing in frequencies because you don't want that because it'll interfere with a whole bunch of stuff. So, like, the brick that you plug into the wall that you plug in your USB cable to charge your phone, that's an AC to DC power converter because the house runs on AC, but your phone runs on DC, but your phone, they want to keep it small so they... <laughs> Are you freaking kidding me right now, dog? He's scratching. He looks very cute, though. I wish I, this was a video podcast. <laughs> your phone runs on DC because it's easier um, for the smaller devices, but they it doesn't have enough room for a converter inside of it, so they have to do it externally, which is why you have to plug the brick into the wall, and why you don't have to plug it in when you plug it into your computer because it's already converted, and like the big block on your charger for your is the same thing so alternating current is uh the other side of the coin not really the other side of the coin they're kind of the same thing uh dc is just uh like a fixed ac kind of because everything is in ac dc only exists when it's converted to it so everything that's generated is generated in ac because all the generators move and it switches every time switching the frequencies. Anyways. Well, and it's funny because Edison is, you know, thought of, most people think of him as like the pioneer of electricity and blah, 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 but everything runs on Tesla's system for the most part and we only very moderately use Edison's system. To be clear, Tesla didn't invent AC. Tesla no, didn't but he, he popularized it. And Edison yes. hardly invented anything either. He stole a lot of people's ideas, and he was like... Edison didn't invent the light bulb. Edison... No, he just improved on things. That was what yes. he was good at, because he only had, like, a like middle school education or something like that. Yeah. He didn't go to he college. He did invent the word hello. Fun fact. What did people say before hello? They, they would say hello with a U. Hello. So, like, uh... There was a, a thing on QI, which is a British TV show, okay. where Stephen Fry talks about how before they would, they would pick up the phone and they would go, hello, or uh, actually, no, no, here's the real story. <laughs> so it was a lie before. Yes, yeah, so I was, I was okay. lying. It was test. So they, re- they would use hello as uh, like, hello, look at that. But Tesla... He picked up a phone and he Tesla said... Tesla or Edison? <laughs> it's okay. It's it okay. might as well be Tesla. Uh, Edison picked up a phone and said hello as a greeting and invented that as a word, and which is... Did he, did he do it on purpose or did he just like say it No, he, he did it on purpose because okay. they were looking for something to say when you answer the phone because they've never, they yeah. never had to... So like people walking down the street didn't, weren't like, hello, hello. They were like... Good day. Yeah. Which is why... Howdy! <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hope they said howdy. But we we use both systems equally. We're using... Everything that we're using right now is running on DC. But the house runs on AC. And all the power lines are on AC. Because AC is better for long distance transmission right. which is the problem that edison was having on his eastern seaboard power grid right because he was having to put a power station every few miles and due to the unsafe conditions and lack of regulation hundreds of people were being electrocuted 
Yeah, because every device... I wonder where I got that from. It's almost like somebody wrote it for you. That's bananas. <laughs> Everything in the house ran on different, um, different voltages. So, okay. yeah, DC is hard to convert between voltages, whereas AC, you can easily convert it between voltages with uh, gotcha. transformers, which we'll get into later. Um, so all the power lines, you would have to run like a, a one line that's 15 volts, one line that's 5 volts, one line that's 10 volts, because all the different machines in the house ran off of different things. So that led to a lot of unsafe environments where it would snow and then the the power lines would collapse and because they're all in DC, which is was actually more dangerous for power lines, uh, it would fall on them and they would get electrocuted. Whereas, like the, the power line would fall on them? Yeah, because the, the cables were enormous. Because Why you had, were they walking out in the snow anyway? Well, you gotta... It sounds like their fault. They had to get... Not to victim blame, <laughs> but it sounds like their fault. Don't be walking under the power lines. Because the cables were enormous because they had to carry so many different ones. And to carry DC a long way, you have to have an enormous cable cross-sectional area-wise. And so these cables would get really heavy and fall on people because they couldn't effectively build cheap structures to hold them up. And Edison was all about cheap, cheap, cheap. Well, yeah. Because um, he wanted to keep his money. Yeah, which was one of the main reasons that Edison was sticking with DC was because he, his, not him, his company had invented a, a way to meter how much electricity a certain house is using so they could actually bill them for it. Because before that meter, they would just get a monthly standard bill, I guess. I don't know how they actually build them, but they get a flat rate. Um rather than being charged for how much they actually use. Gotcha. AC is able to, like I said before, is able to, you're able to switch the voltage uh, a lot easier. So you're able to step the voltage up to super high so it can travel a further distance because the equation, if you want to get technical with it, is voltage is equal to current times resistance, and resistance is dependent on the length of the wire. Um, so as the, the wire gets longer, uh, the resistance is gonna go up, and if the voltage doesn't change, or not the voltage doesn't change, but if the current doesn't change, then the voltage is gonna have to go down, but if you can keep the, the voltage really high, then the current can stay the same, and you want the current to stay the same the entire way. So they were able to step it up to super high voltage so it could be transmitted a long distance. Edison told Tesla that if he could fix the problems that he was having with the power grid, he, was, he would pay him $50,000. A few months later, the problems were all fixed and Tesla went back to Edison to try to collect his money. Edison basically just laughed in his face and told him that you don't understand our American humor and that he was just making a joke. So Tesla... Mm. Sounds like something yeah. familiar. That's not even the sketchiest thing that Edison does. Mm. <laughs> um, Tesla understandably very peeved. That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> leaves um, and with two other backers starts the Tesla Electric 
Light and Manufacturing Company. In 1884. He had worked for uh, Edison for only a few months. He had effectively, all he did was fix the, the power grid was the main problem that he was having. So he's, he's only 28 at this point, right? He was born in 56. Yes. Wow. He's a, he's definitely a youngin. But they had to, they had to get going earlier because they, they didn't live as long. Mm, he lived a long time though. He lived to be almost a hundred. Really? Yeah, he died in the forties, nineteen forties. Yeah, forty six, forty eight, one of the two. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a surprise. I think it was forty three actually. So these investors that Tesla started uh, his electric light and manufacturing company with, they were really only interested in uh, getting a lighting system up and running so that they could sell it. And as soon as they got his designs for it, they fired him and effectively kicked him completely out of the com- company. This left- the Tesla company? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's <laughs> actually a lot of companies would be named Tesla. Still now. Uh, they're still doing it. Actually, over time, it just gets shorter. Like, it starts out as Tesla Electric Electric Light Manufacturing Company, then it becomes, like, Tesla Electric Company, and then Tesla. Interesting. They're not all related at all, but... That's okay. So, after he was fired from his own company, Tesla returned to New York and began digging ditches for a whopping $2 a day in 1886. Big money. Big money. And while he was digging ditches for the Western Union Telegraph Company, uh, he caught the eye of the supervisor, Alfred S. Brown, who introduced him to Charles Peck, who was a lawyer who had made a fortune by forcing Jay Gold to sell the Mutual Union Telegraph Company. Now, Brown and Peck were looking to invest in a new high-tech venture and decided to back Tesla, starting up the Tesla Electric Company in April of 1887. Again, the investors were not that interested in Tesla's other ideas for alternating current, only his arc lamp, and all the money went to the investors, leaving Tesla to look for more work. This is a common theme throughout. Yeah, dude needs to look into some contracts, man. He he does, but he also doesn't. Well, I'll, I'll get to that. Uh, he hasn't yet. Later on. Um, but he didn't, he was known as a man who didn't really care about money that much, although he should have. I mean, because he it's was one very thing, bad with it. It's one thing to not care about money, it's another thing to never get paid for anything that you ever do. Yes. If he got paid what he was actually supposed to, he would be like one of the richest guys in history. But check out Mansa yeah, Just talk kidding. about that. <laughs> it's already it's already up by the time this will come out. So, go if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. <laughs> go listen to Monson and stuff. He's a little bit before Tesla. Just, just a just little a few bit. years. They don't cross over at all. No, not quite. No, Tesla's uh, extended time goes the opposite way. Doesn't mm, go back in time. Okay, okay. All right, now we're getting into the the main bulk of. Uh, his work with Westinghouse. First, to preface all the work that comes, I'm gonna explain a little bit what Westinghouse did. Westinghouse made his fortune in the uh, rail rail business. He invented a pneumatic air brake for trains and 
Love me a pneumatic air brake. Need a truckload of money. A train a load. load. <laughs> a train say. load of money. So, um, just to give a little background, a transformer is what is used to change the voltage of AC. And it does this. It's effectively, imagine like a square with its center cut out, like a donut, but square. And one side comes in and a wire comes in, coils around one side of the square, like we talked about earlier, that right-hand rule, so it induces a magnetic flux in the square, which is a piece of metal, which goes to a coil on the other side of the square, and then uh, a current is induced in that coil by the magnetic flux. So it's one right-hand rule, it's my left hand, one right-hand rule going into the opposite of itself. What if you're left-handed? It was it was confusing a lot in physics because I would be trying to do two right-hand rules at the same time and doing this, and I'm like, I don't get why why am I getting the wrong answer? And then I'm using my left hand. You can use your left hand. You just have to remember that it's the opposite. Right. So it could be the left-hand rule, but it would have to be flipped. Yeah. And to make it even more complicated, there is actually a left-hand rule. That's dumb. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Okay. Um, There's too many rules. I don't like rules. <laughs> yeah, no, physics is all rules. It's... Why do you think I'm not in physics? These transformers were, it's often credited and widely known to be invented by Gallard and Gibbs, uh, their patents, which Westinghouse would uh, later get access to, would be instrumental in building his company. So uh, after the initial invention of the transform by Gallard and Gibbs, uh, these their designs were improved on by the Gans factory, which would later be purchased by Westinghouse. Westinghouse uh, had his engineers work off these patents to improve on the design. Um, and develop a lot of support systems. One of his head engineers, uh, Stanley, would develop a AC distribution system. And another one of his engineers, uh, Schallenberger, would uh, invent the induction meter for measuring AC like Edison had before with DC, allowing them to actually charge per amp hour. Okay, um, Westinghouse became aware of Tesla in 1888 um, through the various patents that he was awarded that year and a s extremely famous speech that he gave to the American Institute of Electrical Engineers called A New System of Alternate, Alternate Current Motors and Transformers, which, as we talked about, is very important in this life. Westinghouse purchased the patents of Ferraris, uh, an Italian inventor, a little bit like Ferrari, but... I was going to say, it looks like it says Ferraris. Uh, yeah, he's just trying to... or fairies, I don't know. It's not the same guy, anyways. Ferraris. Um, you got to say it in Italian. That's Italian. It's oh, yeah. Ferraris. It's when you move your hand. These patents concerned uh, polyphase motors, which are just... Um, the switching cycle motors, which uh, Westinghouse's uh, in-house designs use uh, 133 cycles, which we now know as 133 hertz. You probably heard that before, like in terms of refresh rates on monitors, or TVs, and stuff like that, or uh, frequencies. To or the donuts. 
that. You want to hurt Stonut Jack? <laughs> or the rental car? You want to hurt Stonut? No. <laughs> hurt Stonut. Westinghouse design used 133 cycles, now known as 133 hertz, to prevent the lights from f flickering, which before they would flicker every time that a cycle came over, which at super low cycles is really obvious, but at really high cycles, you don't notice. But that's why um, when you're taking pictures, you can see um, lights flickering a lot with, through cameras. Just a little fun factoid because it gets longer exposure. Is it like when you look, when like you try to film a TV or something and it's all like weird and wavy? Yes, that's also, Kind of, yeah. Okay. We it's it's basically the same kind of the same, same principle. principle. Yeah. Um, after reviewing Tesla's patents, Westinghouse and his engineers realized that the, the patents that they had purchased from Ferraris were effectively useless because Tesla's patents were way more advanced. However, his one of his head engineers, Schallenberger, who invented the the meter, had concerns about Tesla's designs. But this was put to put to rest when uh, Westinghouse sent three of his men out to see Tesla's designs and found that they were even more advanced than that of Schallenberger. Oh boy! Him. Gotcha. Dissed. All of this resulted in Westinghouse purchasing forty patents from Tesla. It is a little bit debated how much money he received for them. It's between. Some people say a million, but most people agree that it was around uh, $60,000. Um, That's much less than a million. Yeah, with 90% uh, of that being in Westinghouse stock. Is the big kicker the royalty of $2.50 per installed kilowatt, which when we get to the actual Niagara Falls um, project, I'll show how much that is actually ends up being worth just for that project, which is only one thing that he did with Westinghouse. So in 1889, the Niagara Falls Company, which is the company that owns all of the land around Niagara Falls, uh, gathered the support of investors, including J.P. Morgan, who you may know from, like, I don't know, J.P. Morgan Chase. Um, the same guy. It's the same, it's all the same dude began looking around the world for proposals uh, and compiling a group of notable scientists from around the world. Edison's company hired engineers to interpret Tesla's patents, but discovered that Tesla owned all of the fundamental patents and had an understanding of the fundamentals that no one else had, and there could be no other electrical system without him. So Tesla got his way in the end. No, it's not the end. Yeah, Edison's in company. Yeah, Edison's company was hired these engineers because they wanted to win the contract for Niagara Falls. Gotcha. So they were trying to figure out uh, all the innovations that Tesla had made uh, in order to improve their chances to get the contract. So the Niagara Falls company set up a commission which received proposals from all around the world, only to reject them all and go with Tesla's designs. It was just a very competitive environment through all the proposals. And the right. Well, and as we've already learned, Edison loves a good backstab. So Lord Kelvin, who invented the temperature scale, yeah, it, yeah, the it's Kelvin not, scale. It's not exactly temperature, but... Uh. Okay, well, you know. <laughs> uh, was against alternating current until he attended the Chicago World's Fair in 1893, which was lit entirely by Tesla and Westinghouse, 
after winning the bid over Edison due to the cheaper cost with Tesla's inventions. So Edison's initial bid of $1.8 million was not taken well, and the second bid of 554000 was overshadowed by Westinghouse's bid of 399000 Showing so. just how much cheaper it actually yeah, is. Yeah, that's... Like, and Edison trying to scam people again. <laughs> right, of course. So, Lord Kelvin would become a strong convert to the alternating current club, if you will. And he and the commission would ask Westinghouse and his company to power Niagara Falls. Tesla's designs would come to fruition after five hard years of construction and would change the U.S. standard for power frequency to 60 hertz from the 133 hertz system Westinghouse had had before. So now let's talk about some clothes. Tesla's classic work. Work. Look. (laughs) That's what I meant. He always looked the same. Yeah, he did his thing. So, men at this time in the 1880s and 1890s were wearing three-piece suits called ditto suits, because they would all match. Ditto. And this consisted of a sack coat, which is a loose-fitting coat that was buttoned high up on the chest, usually like like where you're, if someone is giving you CPR, you have your CPR right there. My sternum is... Yeah, so it's right above that. So it would be buttoned like here. Mm, Yeah. Okay. Um, And halfway through the decade of the 1880s, a new kind of jacket was invented called the dinner jacket. It had a cutaway that showed off the bottom of your waistcoat. I almost said it British, waistcoat. Um, It showed off the bottom of your waistcoat and your watch chain. Because, you know, you want to make sure you look schnazzy. Yeah. The waistcoat was buttoned up to the neck over a shirt, of course. And the necktie was very popular and were thin and worn over a turned-up collar at the time. And trousers were loose-fitting at the beginning of the 1880s, but slowly became narrower as the time as time passed. And boldly striped trousers were very popular in the 1880s. How bold All the rage. Like, like, pretty bold. Like, how thick are, is each stripe? Like, it's not, it's not pinstripe. And it's not, like, the same size stripe. It's like but zebra? It's like, no, 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 no. But it's like, uh, I don't have anything to compare it to. But it's like, like that. But on a smaller scale. Oh, I see. So it's not quite, it's not pinstripe. It's, it's, a, it's less classy than pinstripe, more aggressive. It's just striped. But it's not, but it's not like they're even. It's not like. Uh, Asymmetrically um, striped. Sure. Okay. Um, And Tesla, of course, we have to talk about his iconic look. He had his large black mustache, and he had short wavy hair that was parted in the middle to form, like, two waves that looked almost like a mustache on his head. (laughs) Yeah, a little Um, bit. But that was the iconic look he had his whole life, really. Fun fact, uh, the dean of, or the associate dean of the engineering department at UCR Marko Princevac is Serbian, and he has the same hairstyle. Wow, maybe it's a Serbian thing. Serbian engineer thing. Yeah, that's wild. Maybe. maybe. He's also a genius. You should also maybe tell him to fix his hair. It's not yeah, the best look. if you look up a big... <laughs> yeah. He just looks like he always just woke up. Which is fine. You know, it's, a, it's something. One of the things that Tesla and Edison like... It, 
uh, are most famous for is their the rivalry that existed between them. And this all, as we talked about before, uh, stems from their different ideas on the manner of electricity transmission. Edison very staunchly DC because he can make more money from it. Everything, he owns all the patents for that. Uh, and he just generally believes that that's the way of the future. Tesla, absolutely 100% convinced that AC is the way of the future. They will not convince each other otherwise. Edison, as I said, pioneered the system of DC through the homes and uh, established these power grids and owned all the royalties and was able to make a lot of money from it. So he was very in favor of keeping that as the standard. Edison wanting to keep his own money? It's crazy. What? Again, I wish this was a video podcast. <laughs> But his DC system did have several failures, which were very public, such as the, a lot of people getting electrocuted. Uh, it's hard to keep that under wraps. Yeah, a lot. I mean, a lot of people, when it first started, a lot of people thought that it wasn't even that big of a thing, and it was just a thing that happened with electricity. Um, but they also didn't really understand what it was. They didn't understand what electricity was. They thought that... If you got shocked by 100 volts, you'd be fine, but that's, you need more information than that. Edison began to suffer a lot of losses in terms of uh, what was becoming the standard uh, from the World's Fair, where he lost that bid to power it, from, to a lot of other things around the world, um, such as the Niagara Falls, the Niagara Falls contract, which, he, which was an enormous contract, which I said I was going to come back to how much money he made off of that. But um, just to give an example, one power station, Niagara Falls, there was one main generator that was 37,000 kilowatts. So at $2.50 for each one of those kilowatts, that's almost uh, $100,000 for the time, which is a lot more now. And there were 10 backup generators, which were each 3,700 kilowatts. So that increases it up to almost 200,000 just for that one power station. Finally, Tesla gets money. But he doesn't. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Which we'll get back to after the War of the Currents. So, after all of this loss, Edison decided to launch a campaign to disparage alternating current. Because uh, if Edison's not good at anything, it's losing. He really went crazy with it. He really did. Um, this is one of my favorite tales. Like, it just really shows what a dick he is. You know, like... He had... I, at the point that he started the war of currents he had already lost the war of currents right right (laughs) it was just him pissed that he was losing he was just throwing a tantrum so animals around the edison factory began disappearing and edison's men began carrying out the executions of pets and unwanted horses and cattles all using alternating current to show how dangerous it was so petty he would kill puppies Literally. 
and it wasn't it wasn't just stray animals. It started out as stray animals, but then he started just stealing people's pets. Oh my god. He's so terrible. I mean he's an old man. He wasn't going out in his with his cane <laughs> <laughs> grabbing cats, but like Bo Peep in Toy Story. Yeah. Shlunk. And at another thing, at this point he was not working with the authorization of his company, the General Electric Company. Uh, he was just doing it on his own for fun? No, because he he was effectively silenced by his board of directors telling him, stop complaining about this. So he went out and did this all without their permission. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Well, and then he used his press connections to foster the popularization of the term getting Westinghoused as a term for electrocution, which shows you how well that took on, because we still call it getting electrocuted. And more people got electrocuted by Edison, though. More animals, that's for sure. Yeah, no kidding. Edison was publicly opposed to capital punishment, uh, but obviously not that opposed in reality, but his obsession with proving that DC was better drove him to secretly pay the man who was inventing the electric chair to use alternating current instead of direct current, and then asked the New York press to publicize that fact. So he, he just really wanted to kill things he with tried so AC. Just, just really wanted to. The first electric chair was used in 1890, but the technicians on hand misjudged the voltage needed, and the first shock didn't kill the man, and it had to be repeated. A reporter said that it was an awful spectacle far far worse than hanging, and Westinghouse himself said they would have done better using an axe. So, turns out AC... Backfired a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, didn't quite kill him. After the International Electrotechnical Exhibition was lit using alternating current power, it was evident to the world, at least the engineering powerhouse of Germany, that alternating current was the most economical way to transmit power. After this, General Electric, Edison's company, heavily invested into alternating current. Edison's protests were silenced by the board of directors, although it would take them a long time to catch up to Westinghouse. So even after losing, Edison commissioned a film in 1903, which showed the execution using alternating current of an elephant named Topsy who had killed three men. So he was really trying to disparage the name of alternating current. Imagine um, somebody just putting out a movie where they killed an elephant nowadays. Yeah. Where they're just like... Look how bad this guy's invention is. I'm going to kill an elephant with it. But it wasn't even a bad invention. It, look, It's more like, look how petty I am. Imagine, Here's a dead elephant. Yeah, imagine Ford coming out and running over a kid with a Chevy and saying, look how bad a Chevy is. <laughs> I'm making that commercial. That, it's happening. Probably sell a lot of Fords. <laughs> you don't want your kids getting run over. Mm-hmm. Another point to add to the War of Currents, which isn't really involved in the currents, but in terms of what system did reign supreme, J.P. Morgan, uh, who owned a lot of uh, DC patents at the time, he didn't care 
about the technical side. He didn't care which one actually was better. He didn't care which one powered uh, the country. He just wanted to make money off of it. So he ran this huge smear campaign against uh, Westinghouse, uh, making all these radical claims, and eventually caused Westinghouse to lose a lot of profit. And Westinghouse, when he ran out of money, he went to Tesla and he said, can you give me some relief on these on these royalties that I promised you because I don't have any more money left and we have to keep the company going. Goddamn. And you know what Tesla did? He did it. He, he took both contracts and he said, here's your contract, here's my contract, I'll rip them up. Then you won't have any problem with royalties. So he got no money. Tesla! <laughs> Nikola! But he was just so dedicated to... Not only Westinghouse, but to having AC and believing AC was the way of the future that he sacrificed his monetary gain for the good the good of the people. Good for him, I guess. Not really. Yeah, not really good for him, but I mean, throughout his life, he would manage to get other people to pay for stuff for him. It's good for him. I wish I could do that. Tesla's first official lab that he had in New York, he bought after selling 40 of his patents to, to Westinghouse, uh, was, it was 33 to 35 South Fifth, Fifth Avenue. Uh, here he would make a lot of uh, very significant advancements, such as the high-frequency alternator. He would begin to form his ideas on wireless signal and power transmission, through his use of fluorescent lights, which uh, a common trick that he would do at a lot of fairs, he would have a wireless transmitter near him and in the air at a high frequency and he would hold on to the end of one uh, of a fluorescent light and hold it up in the air and it would light up and then as soon as he let go, it would uh, go out because he wasn't connect finishing the circuit with his own body. He did a lot of experiments to prove that AC was safe, where he just stood in a lot of electricity and... As you do. There's a, a really good movie, not exactly scientifically accurate, but it's called The Prestige, which has a, a version of Tesla in there, but it shows a trick where there's all this lightning flying everywhere and the magician walks through the middle and it's all arcing towards him, it's going through him and everything, and he's completely fine. And that was a real demonstration that Tesla did. Mm. And the poster, one of the two posters I have in my room, the other being the Space Jam poster you got me, um, is Everybody get up. Tesla sitting in a chair next to an enormous wireless transmitter that's arcing lightning all over the place, and he's just sitting in a chair reading a book right next to it. And he did that a lot, of, a lot of times to, in opposition to Edison saying, look how dangerous AC is. He, he said, no, it's not. I'm standing in it. It's completely fine if you know what you're doing. I mean, fair, to, fair enough, man. I mean, they're equally as dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. Right, because it's electricity. Yeah, don't mess with it. Here, Tesla would work a lot with different frequencies, discovering the first and theorizing the first radio frequency warming for physical therapy. And he gave a few talks about that, which is an odd parlay into the medical field. 
uh, for him. Here he would also invent the Tesla coil, which is, when you think of Tesla, most people just think, oh, he's the guy who did the Tesla coil, right? Which effectively, it's just a, a big transformer that gets it up to really high voltage and then starts shooting off stuff everywhere. And basically is a wireless transmitter of electricity, in a sense. Um, he had later refined this design, but his first Tesla coil design, he claimed, got up to 7 million hertz, which the highest before was they were getting into hundreds of thousands of hertz, maybe into the millions of hertz, but he just blew everybody else out of the water. It was also at this lab where he was able to first calculate the re resonant frequency of the Earth that he theorized he could use to transmit free energy across the world. So he's had some far-flung ideas, um, and everybody thought he was crazy at the time, at least for those ideas. But he did correctly identify the resonant frequency of the Earth 50 years before anybody else could corroborate it. Unfortunately, though, in 1895, his first lab uh, burned down, to take, taking with it his lecture equipment, notes, photos, and everything else inside. It was not a huge loss for, I mean, it was a huge loss for Tesla himself. He said it was one of the greatest tragedies of his life, but he was able to rebuild it with his phenomenal memory. But for the rest of the world, we may have lost a lot of brilliant inventions and innovations. So his second lab was at 46 East Houston Street, where he worked from 1895 to 1902. He became friends with uh, the famous author Mark Twain in the 1890s and Twain posed for one of the first incandescent lit photographs in Tesla's lab and later one that was lit with a Crookes tube uh, which Tesla found splotchy and declared ruined. Weeks later Wilhelm Röntgen announced his discovery of x-ray radiation and Tesla would realize that this is what caused the photo to be so splotchy. Tesla would publish uh, x-ray tube designs, which came out at the same time as Rountigan's, but Tesla would never claim priority, and the two would confer on the topic and work together on advances. So that's nice. I can hear Paul's purring. <laughs> Shrinky Are boy. you happy? He wants to be part of it. They all want to be part of it, except our... He, the entire time that he owned the, the Houston Laboratory, he did not work there the entire time, however. As uh, from 1899 to 1900-ish, some say a little bit into 1901, uh, he worked in Colorado Springs, uh, where he set up a lab mainly to study his wireless transmission of power and signals that he had come up with in New York, but had discovered that his lab was far too small to make any sizable advancements. Uh, in a letter to J.P. Morgan, who became close with Tesla as they worked uh, on the Niagara Falls project and would later work on another lab, in a letter to him, Tesla described his work in Colorado Springs as the transmission of minute amounts of energy and the production of feeble effects barely perceptible by sensitive devices, the transmission of notable amounts of energy dispensing with the necessity of sensitive devices and enabling the positive operation of any kind of apparatus requiring a small amount of power. 
the transmission of power in amounts of industrial significance with the completion of my present undertaking, the first step will be made. You get all that? Uh-huh. Basically, Are you gonna have a quiz? Basically, he's, he's just saying he started out small, doing uh, transmitting across small distances, and then was able to step it up to where it was significant at an industrial level where you can actually utilize it. Gotcha. Tesla would learn from his lab fire in New York and uh, install a roof on the lab that would is able to be rolled back to prevent uh, any fire because he caused a lot of fires. <laughs> That's what happens with electricity. Yeah. He was relatively private about his uh, work in Colorado Springs and told a lot of people that it was for stuff that it wasn't necessarily for. Like he's told a lot of people he was trying to develop like wireless communications, but he really wanted to transmit power across the world for free, which he thought people wouldn't like. So he told them it wasn't for free. <laughs> I want it. Yeah. That sounds great. And most of the notes that uh, do exist from that time are stored in the Tesla Museum in Yugoslavia. It was here that Tesla built an enormous coil which could produce lightning bolts over a hundred feet long. And many people who lived in the area when walking near the lab at night uh, claimed to see sparks forming between the ground and their feet due to the grounding coil that Tesla was using being highly charged as he often tended to work at night, as we have found. Yes. You want to go to that museum, don't you? In Yugoslavia? Yes, that would be very interesting. I want to read his, his notes. So his next lab was the Wardenclyffe Lab, which he had from 1901 to 1906. Coming after his research uh, in Colorado Springs, he wanted to set up a worldwide transmission plant. This lab was founded by James S. Warden. He decided to embrace Tesla's ideas and gave him an 1,800-acre plot of land near a railway and planned to build housing for 2,000 to 2,500 people to work for Tesla. After reading Tesla's article titled The Problem of Increasing Human Energy, J.P. Morgan reached out to him and they began working together, with Morgan being the principal investor in the Wardenclyffe Lab. Tesla proposed the lab as a wireless communication system, but in reality, it was planned to transmit wireless energy around the world. For free. For free. It was around this time that Marconi, the man widely credited with the invention of radio transmission, began getting recognition for his work. When asked about Marconi, Tesla, who had been researching such things for years, said, Marconi is a good fellow. Let him continue. He is using 17 of my patents. So, modest. What a savage. I mean, you know, he's earned it a little bit. It's just another instance showing he just cared about the advancements of the technology. In this case, he believed that he had the superior way of going about it and that he was going to be successful over Marconi. But in general, most of the things that he did were to further the advancement of the field rather than to make him more money. Gotcha. Well, despite Tesla's lack of concern with the issue, Marconi would be almost completely credited with the invention of radio transmission, while Tesla, who arguably did more work for the invention, would be largely left out. 
Tesla rarely shows up in common history due to his disregard for notoriety and lack of self-marketing skills, despite being one of the most important inventors of all time. Inventors such as Edison and Marconi are largely credited with these famous inventions not because they actually invented them, but because they found a way to effectively market them. Marconi's work is largely considered to be the reason that Morgan eventually pulled his funding from Wardenclyffe, which Tesla would end up having to abandon, never completing his project, unfortunately. So let's talk again about the clothing, because since we are in a much more modern era, clothing changes much more quickly, although this is kind of the end because men's clothing kind of stays the same. The start of the Edwardian era led to the creation of what is called a sack suit. These were long, plain, and somewhat baggy. They had almost three inch lapels on the suit jackets and ranged from having one to three buttons. And the jacket would go down to mid thigh, so it's much longer than a modern day jacket. It was much looser fitting. Think like 90s. <laughs> like if when I was five years ago trying to wear dad's suit. Sure. Or just, like, watch the X-Files. Oh, okay. Just look at their suits and how they fit them. Um, they could be either single or double-breasted, and they only came in the colors navy green, brown, or gray. Super fun and funky. Although there was a time in, I believe, 1912 when they used a lot of purple, um, which fell out of fashion pretty quickly. And straw boater hats were also very in style. These are those long, flat caps that you think of when you think of like a barbershop quartet, mm. you know, or like a gondola driver, like the driver, straight. paddler. What do you call a, go- a gondolier? Gondolier, not That's a gondola paddler. <laughs> I liked that one. Okay. okay, so after Wardenclyffe, his, the amount of inventions and patents that he would file for would decrease slightly. He is getting older, but... um. His most productive year was when he was working for Westinghouse, and he filed like 15 patents that year for Westinghouse, which is really significant if you know if you know what uh, goes into filing a patent. It's it's a lot. It's not simple. Like Einstein worked in a patent office. He was the kind of guy doing that stuff. Anyways, he was kind of smart. Just a little bit. Tesla didn't think. Um, anyways, but <laughs> uh, some of his inventions post Wardenclyffe um, were in 1907. He made his first model for the turbine based off of vis- the viscous friction principle. In 1909, he would begin uh, designs for the an aeromobile, like an airplane or helicopter system. He would apply for various patents in the fields of uh, steam and gas turbines and would continue working with them for various companies, helping them implement uh, those new types of generators in their systems. Actually working for Edison again at one point, um, not Edison directly, but the General Electric Company. He would apply for the, a patent for a vertically ascending aeroplane, helicopter type of Archimedes screw type, not Archimedes screw, like a Da Vinci screw. Archimedes screw is the water thing. Anyways. How many screws are there? Well, Da Vinci screw is like, you've you seen the, if you like look up classic Da Vinci designs and it's like, it's got like a spiral 
uh, wing on the top. Anyways. I don't know. And he, he also began submitting designs for energy transmission through the earth, as well as a defensive weapon, which he referred to as a death beam, yeah. um, which caused him to be investigated by the government up until his death. <laughs> Whoopsies. <laughs> um, although it, it, many think that it was just thought to be a ruse cooked up by Tesla to pay for his debts, after his death, an MIT scientist was sent to investigate what he claimed was a death beam and said it was, this is going to get a little technical, a multi-decade resistance box of the type used for a Wheatstone bridge resistance measurement or a, a common standard item found in every electrical laboratory before the turn of the century, basically saying Tesla just threw a bunch of electrical components in a box, said, here's a death beam that's worth $10,000. You guys can take this for my debts. So he just in made up nothing and sold it for ten. It's like modern art. Yeah, it's true. It is modern. He sold it for ten thousand dollars. Um, some of his person personal life post Wardenclyffe, after those years, his hot, his heydays where he was inventing all the time, working for Westinghouse and J P Morgan and everybody. He became more and more of a recluse, um, and his ideas became more and more fanciful as he got older like worldwide transmission of power and signals um which I mean, is a little bit of reality nowadays he wasn't exactly wrong but um it's a little before that time. and he didn't entirely take into account everything that he should have he also began staring in various hotels around new york at this time mainly off of his fame not actually money because he didn't have much of that and he was while working at Wardenclyffe Labs he was staying at the world-famous Waldorf Astoria in New York and when Wardenclyffe was sold the money $20,000 was used to pay for his debt at the Waldorf Astoria and like I said before uh, he s attempted to pay his $10,000 debt at the Governor Clinton Hotel in Manhattan with his death beam. Probably not the best idea to just go around trying to sell well, a death Well, but especially beam. the Governor Clinton Hotel. Yeah. Like, like if it's named for a person of that importance. Yes. As he became more recluse, uh, his obsessions, many think that he had OCD. I'm almost sure of it. I'm not a doctor, but everybody widely agrees. And some of his obsessions make it very clear. And as he became older and more of a recluse, his fear of germs and everything else in life uh, intensified. And at the time of his death, he wasn't talking to a lot of people. He was very keeping to himself. In 1937, he was injured in a traffic accident in New York. Just a little fun fact. Um, Zesty. He was, in fact, walking there. Um, <laughs> uh, and he And he died in the New Yorker Hotel on January 7th, 1943. I was right. I said 1943. I was wrong. You were. <laughs> I said even numbers, and it was an odd number. He was, okay, so he was born in 56, died in 43, so he was 90-something. Damn. Is that right? Is, it was his 75th anniversary, anniversary. No, he wasn't 90. He was 87. You need me to check it for you? Uh, you should be able to do that kind of math. You are an engineer, fool. You know what engineers do? Math. Cal calculators. Math. They, they just say, 
plugged into her calculator. So just just a couple fun little factoids about Tesla, because he was such an interesting man. As we said before, he probably had an eidetic memory, which he attributed to his mother, who, while she was uneducated, was extremely smart and would invent appliances for around the house. And he was very close with his mother at the beginning of his life, and she was very devastated when he cut ties with her. But they did reconnect uh, later on in his life. He spoke eight languages, at least. And in 1915, rumors circled that said that Edison and Tesla were to share the Nobel Prize. Both claimed to have never gotten identification that they were to receive it, and some claim that they didn't get it as they both refused to accept if the other also got it because yeah men is, don't like sharing it's not it's not exactly corroborated but it is another fun little story between edison and tesla is a rumor that went around for a while many people may have heard the a famous einstein quote about tesla where when asked what does it feel uh like to be the smartest man in the world he replied with i don't know you'll have to ask nikola tesla Aww. Wait, <laughs> because there's not much evidence that he did actually say this, but most people believe that if he did, it was most likely sarcastic because at the time Less Tesla was very public about his uh, dislike for a lot of uh, Einstein's ideas and thought ideas like relativity and quantum physics were inherently flawed and just fancy math to make people think that they were true. Hashtag I'm with Tesla. Tesla, uh, like like you said before, when he was coming to New York, he had poems in his pockets. He often wrote a lot of poetry. A famous poem of his is called uh, Fragments of Olympian Gossip, where a lot of people think that he is firing shots at Einstein by calling him a long-haired crank and saying that he's overturning the ideas of people like Isaac Newton. But when, I mean, at least when I read the poem, it came off like he was actually praising him, which is interesting considering the their history. Oh, another thing, for his 75th uh, birthday, he got the cover of Time magazine with a lot of notable scientists writing in notes to him. And Einstein did, in fact, write a note in t- in to Tesla praising him but it was very like leveled praise and he said it was like in the field of high frequency currents you did a good job yeah <laughs> but nowhere else he was very specific about where he did a good job i don't know if it was it was i mean it was a compliment yeah he used to order 18 towels a day at his hotel in colorado springs because he quote liked to do his own dusting and he had an I would call it irrational fear of ladies' pearl earrings. Yes. Um, it was like a fear of shiny things, wasn't it? That yeah. That just was specifically focused on women's pearl earrings. And it was like women's earrings like were made him uneasy in general, but it was pearl earrings in particular he just couldn't stand. And he once said of a pigeon, we'll close with this, he once said of a pigeon... I loved that pigeon as a man loves a woman, and she loved me. As long as I had her, there was a purpose in my life. It's what beautiful. A, it, it, that's true love, I think. Yeah. I think that's true love. 
This episode of Who, War, What, When was researched and written by me, Maggie Latham, and him, Jack Latham. It is edited and produced by Dabney Rao. It was inspired by David Henderson's History of Clothing course at Hofstra University. This episode was sponsored by Elon Musk's Fancy Toupee, Untrimmed Cat Claws, and Paul's Screams. Some of the research for this episode came from teslauniverse.com, teslaresearch.com, and pbs.org. Did you know that making a podcast costs money? If you'd like to help make the production of this podcast possible, you can follow us on Patreon by searching for Who Wore What When. For only $1 per month, you can get access to some of our research materials, and for only $5 per month, you can get access to bonus episodes. An interesting one coming up is going to be the history of the baseball uniform. Yes. Which will be super fun. By me and Jack again. I'm still here. He's still here. Additionally, for a one-time donation of $50, you'll get a custom embroidery made by me. Please support us with however much you can afford by going to Patreon and searching for who, were, what, when, or clicking the link in the description below. We appreciate every contribution. Special thanks to David Henderson, my brother Jack, and everyone who voted on my Instagram poll that they would listen to this podcast. Did you enjoy this episode? Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Only five stars, please. Or Tell six. your friends to listen. I don't think you can do six stars. So, uh, they're SOL there. Not trying hard enough. Okay. And check us out on Instagram at who wore what when pod. You can also visit our website at www.whowarewhatwhenpod.com. Do you have questions, comments, or concerns, or perhaps a suggestion of who we should do next? Email us at whowarewhatwhenquestions at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We haven't heard he, we haven't heard from anyone yet. It's I mean it's a little bit of a long email address. Well, what were we supposed to do? That's fair. Thanks for listening. I'll write it. Okay, you gonna suggest people? I'm gonna correct something that you said in this podcast. That's not fair. <laughs> That's not fair. I'm gonna correct something I said. That's fair. Correct everything you said. Just take it all back. This episode is sponsored by <laughs> hair plugs. Are you losing your hair? Do you have a lot of money? No. Hair plugs. <laughs> I don't think I fall under either of those categories. No, neither do I.